in this episode of Boss Files. The one constant in my life has been that I have always taken on a challenge that's before me. Former Fox News anchor Gretchen Carlson, a violin prodigy from Anoka, Minnesota, a former Miss America who went to Stanford and studied at Oxford, and unexpectedly became a central figure in the fight against sexual harassment. After working so hard in my life for more than 25 years in television and getting to the national scene when you know, when I saw that all ending right before my eyes, I decided that if I don't do something about it, who will? She weighs in on the Harvey Weinstein allegations and says the floodgates have opened. In her words, predators watch out. Her mission today and why she says going to HR may not be the answer for employees experiencing sexual harassment at work. Plus, why she hopes to testify in front of Congress. Here's my conversation with Gretchen Carlson. Gretchen Carlson, I am used to knowing you through the television screen, watching you for years. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for doing this. Of course. Well, you as well. And of course, we share another similarity. Minnesota. Minnesota. The best. Don't but I don't. You know? I don't hear your accent. I mean, I still have it when I go home yeah. once in a while. You know what happens to me is when I go home and I turn on the radio, and I'm like, oh! <gasps> Did I ever sound like that? I mean, I love it. I love it. It sounds so genuine and real, and that's how Minnesota people are. And I just think Garrison Keillor and home, and I just, you know. See, now he is actually from my hometown. Right. Yes. That's right. He's so, the the claim to fame for Anoka, Minnesota, Halloween capital of the world. (laughs) Okay. And and home of Garrison Keillor as well. So. A great man, a great storyteller. Yes. And a great place for us to grow up, right? I wouldn't trade it for the world. Never. I know. Do you think that being a girl from Anoka, Minnesota, of course it shaped you, but in this fight, which we will dive into, this fight against sexual harassment, um, are you stronger because of that upbringing? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I mean, I think about my upbringing every single day because I had a mom who told me every day when she put me to bed, you can be anything you want to be. Now, the caveat with that was with a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, for, for people who haven't heard that in their lives, I mean, I want to tell them that now today, too. It's just, it was so central in who I became. Mm. And, you know, courage came at a young age for me. I mean, I remember being in kindergarten. They used to put the kids in the can't-read group and the read group. I don't think they do that anymore. But no. By mistake, they put me in the can't-read group, and I did know how to read. And I went up to Mrs. Grossline three times during the day, and I said, Mrs. Grossline, but I can read. And she's like, oh, just go sit back down in the can't-read group. And I ran home from school, and I slammed the back door, and I said, Mommy, but I know how to read. And she called the school, and the next day I was in the right group. And Mm. I share that story because, you know, how would that have affected my life if I hadn't stood up and spoken up about something like that at five years old? And it really could have shaped my whole educational career, and it could have shaped who I became, you know, with what happens when you don't speak up for yourself, Mm -hmm. and what happens when you do. And I saw that I evoked change when I did. Yeah. But also, and we'll get into this, you know, how you deal with being silenced because of laws, et cetera, and what you're fighting for in Congress now. But before that, how do you, Gretchen Carlson, define yourself today? First and foremost, a mom. I'm blessed to have two children, 12 and 14. I struggled with infertility, so uh, that makes it all that much more important. But it's really interesting, Poppy. So for me, even though I was so driven in my life and goal-oriented and wanted to for sure have a great profession, 
in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be a mom, always. So when I found out that I might not be able to have kids, that was probably the most devastating news that I've ever faced. So mom, you know, first and foremost. And it really factors into the biggest decision, professional decision of my life that I made on July 6, 2016. Because out of everything else, the most important thing was how will my kids fare? Yeah, and they were, uh, yeah. These are young, that is a hard age. These are young Hard age, kids. middle school. They're Ugh. already going through their own particular issues. And, and kids can be brutal they can to be other brutal. kids. And, and you know, it, 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 um, it just happened to coincide. My, my resolution of my story happened to coincide with the first day of school. <laughs> Wasn't planned that way. I was very anxious about that. And um, my daughter actually was um, asked a lot about it at school that right. day. And I was really concerned. She came home and she said, Mom, she said, you know, so many people asked me about what happened to my mommy over the summertime. And I thought, and she said, and Mommy, she said, I was so proud to be able to tell them that you were my mom. Mm. And so the you know, greatest the validation. End, it's the greatest validation. And in the end, you only want what's best for your children. And moving forward now, my kids saw their mom do something that they will never ever forget and they now have that gift of courage within themselves and they're going to pass it on and pass it on and pass it on which is the whole reason I did what I did. You describe it Gretchen as jumping off of a cliff alone. That for you was July 6th of, of 2016 and I should know you cannot legally discuss anything about your settlement with Fox News. Uh, it was reported to be a $20 million settlement that included a public apology. The terms of your arbitration uh, agreement prevent you from doing that, and you are now fighting sort of how arbitration and, and all of that works, and we'll get into that. But why did you jump off the cliff alone? So I think after working so hard in my life for more than 25 years in television and getting to the national scene when... You know, when I saw that all ending right before my eyes, I decided that if I don't do something about it, who will? And I wanted to try and change the landscape for future generations. So if what I had worked so hard for was going to vanish, then I wanted to make sure that I had my voice heard and made a difference for my children and other people's children. This was not a fight you thought you would ever take on. Even when this was happening to you, even when you were being harassed, you told my colleague Patty Sellers of Fortune, I never expected to become the face of sexual harassment. Well, look where we're sitting today. Okay, look what has transpired uh, with Harvey Weinstein in Hollywood. And, you know, all these women were silenced. Well, there's a lot in that whole analysis. I mean, first and foremost, the floodgates have been opened. If I had anything to do with that, I am immensely proud that other women have come forward. I'm very optimistic about what the future holds because we are seeing more and more women saying, we're not going to be silenced anymore. We are going to speak up. And even men. Men now, I mean, Ben Affleck tweeted out, you know, this should never be happening to my fellow actors, to my daughters. And the most important thing he said was, is that people who witness this should also speak up. So it's not just about the silencing of women. 
It's about the enablers who normalize this within their own corporate culture, yeah. right? So the floodgates have been opened, and I really am optimistic that we're actually going to see change. Yeah. And as I said in the New York Times op-ed, predators, watch out, because <laughs> people are starting to talk. Yeah. Well, you know, part of Harvey Weinstein's initial sort of, I don't know if you, let's just call it a statement, right? Because he did admit to acting inappropriately in some instances. But then he talked about when he grew up and that, you know, some of this being a product of the the culture and the time he grew up in. I mean, what? That's an excuse because he's of a certain age. He doesn't know that he shouldn't allegedly rape people. So it's crazy. You end up on the cover of Time magazine. People call you the improbable ambassador. What was all this like, Gretchen? I mean, did you sort of, was it sort of like you you saw yourself on the cover and you think, what? Like this wasn't, (laughs) I knew I was a fighter, but this wasn't the fight I thought I was taking on. Yeah, a couple things. I mean, it was a surreal experience. Every day, by the way, has been a surreal yeah. experience since then. But it was surreal to walk through the airport and see my face on of course. on Time magazine. But um, the idea that it was improbable, uh, true because I never thought I was going to become one of the central faces of this issue. Mm-hmm. However, um, not improbable in the sense that I have always been a fighter for women. Always. I have always mentored women because I had help along the way from other fabulous women throughout my life, whether they were my violin teacher or in television or in school. But I, I think it's the wrong depiction of me to suddenly say, oh, she became you know, in favor of women's rights when she turned 50 years old and you know, did this. That's just simply not who I have been. In fact, my mom used to complain to me all the time saying, why do you always have to talk about women's rights? <laughs> and now that she's been running the company herself at the age of 76 for 10 years, mm. uh, about a first week on the job, she called me. She goes, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about now. <laughs> she was facing similar things. So this has been something that I've always talked about. I've always you know, tried to uh, be in the foreground, in the forefront of this issue. Um, whether or not that included sexual harassment is a whole other story, yeah. but I've always been a supporter of women. The, uh, you have a new book, uh, Diving into All of This, which is really important for all of us to read, men and women, about finding your strength, as the title is, Being Fierce, Be Fierce. And <laughs> in the introduction, you write, are you done taking blank, S-H asterisk T, are you done taking it? What was that moment for you when you were done taking it? So I can't get into all the details about you know, what happened to me or how I came to that final decision other than to say that, um, you know, as I said before, when, when I saw my potential career ending at a particular place, that I knew that I had to do something for future generations. Um, I guess the point, though, are, are you done taking blank is... This is a rallying cry for all women. It's not just about sexual harassment. This is about you know, pay inequity. This is about not getting a seat in the boardroom. This is about not getting the promotion you deserve. This starts at a young age. This is about kids who are bullied in elementary school and moving into middle school. College girls who are assaulted on campuses at a ridiculous rate in this country. So this book is about being fierce in every aspect of your life where you feel you're being put down. But you being treated like that, being, you know, going through what you went through, 
the harassment for you continued even after this fight. I mean, you say, just look at my Twitter feed. And there was that moment when your 13-year-old daughter saw you reading this horrific stuff. What was that like? Yeah, I just had to tell her that, you know, mommy has a lot of work left to do. And just looking at my social media feeds is proof of that. You know, as I say in the book, to the men I'd like to say, you know, do you have a wife? Do you have a daughter? Do you have a granddaughter? Would you say these things to her face? And to the women who have said negative things to me, I'm not really exactly sure what to say back to them. Maybe what Madeleine Albright said about a special place in hell for certain women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd like to be more you know, optimistic about it and positive and think that my work is going to change more minds. And as more people come forward, we're going yeah. to see that this isn't normal behavior. You know, that I have to look at it that way because you know, there are mornings that I wake up and you know, it's not always like, oh, I definitely want to be the face of this issue every day, right? Mm. I mean, uh, my life motto has been carpe diem, and I do seize every single day. Yeah. So that's what I'm reminded of when I wake up. But yeah. you know, it's not like it's an easy, easy fight that, um, that you choose for yourself. Anything but. What does it say on your wrist? Um, well, this, this one says be fierce. Okay. But um, you had other, other yes, sayings on your I wear, wrist. Well, I always have uh, something inspirational so that it's an automatic reminder uh, of where I'm heading that day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have carpe diem that I usually wear on my wrist as well. So when, when anyone, men or women, go through experience sexual harassment, the natural place to go in a workplace is HR, is human resources. You make the counter argument, the, the controversial, frankly, argument that HR may not be where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because people who work in HR departments are getting their paychecks from the company. And uh, that's one thing that people always told me as I worked my way up. You know, are they really your friend? No, nah, because they're being paid you know, from the company. Now, I have heard from tons of people who work in HR who are good people who are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to malign the, the whole industry of HR people. However, I do believe that with regard to discriminatory cases and sexual harassment, that we should have an outside source that would be, uh, come inside the company but not work at the company to be able to hear these complaints. But that doesn't exist in well, corporate America. It could, but I'm just wondering. How tough would that be to, no. to do it? Look, it makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. Um, what do people do now, Gretchen? I mean, you were They fort- don't come forward. That's what happens. Because they can't. And you were 70%. fortunate enough. You could afford to. Um, mm-hmm. th- come on. Most men and women in America are working multiple jobs. True. And they cannot afford to lose the job. And that's the gnawing question that has bothered me more than anything else over the last 15 months. But that is why I set up the Gift of Courage Fund, mm-hmm. which is financially supporting organizations that already empower women and girls. But even more to that point of how do I help the single mom working two jobs yeah. who's being sexually harassed yeah. at work? So the Gretchen Carlson Leadership Initiative has just been announced, nine city tour, three days of workshops in each city for underserved women, where they will come for free and be able to get counseling on domestic violence, sexual harassment, and how to become more civically and politically involved. Because when you are a victim of sexual harassment or domestic violence, not only are you silenced with regard to that issue, you're silenced or you feel like you're silenced in your life in general, so you don't become civically involved. You feel like you're invisible. 
And so I am now part of the solution for those women. At least in nine cities for the very first year, thousands of women are going to be able to come and get that guidance and get that help thanks to the fund that I've set up. Good for you. Thank you. You speak about the secrecy of it and sort of even after all is said and done, even after you spoke up, your lawsuit, your settlement, your words, the predator can keep working and you're gone. That is terrifying and that is what is happening in so many workplaces across America. Because in our culture, for whatever reason, we tend to protect the harasser at all costs. And women are still labeled troublemakers Mm. and the B word, and they're not believed. And oh, some people even suggested that they do this for fame. I've never met one person who wanted to be famous because of that and torpedo their career. Mm. You know, that, that's just not the way that it works. So what I find so optimistic right now is that as more and more people are coming forward, mm-hmm. there's going to be change. I mean, talking about putting an ombudsman inside of a company, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I really believe you ha- it. You have it in you know, financial services, you, mm-hmm. you have outside bodies regulating bodies inside, observing. Um, It's not out of the question. Mm -hmm. You talk about the, in in your book, and be fierce, all the thousands of women that reached out to you with their stories. You say from Wall Street to tiny little towns in Alabama, it is everywhere. Are these the women who have helped give you the strength to speak out, to write all of this, to to, to go across America? Because frankly, you could have just taken that settlement and spent time with your kids. Mm -hmm. I could have, but the one constant in my life has been that I have always taken on a challenge that's before me. Um, And I felt it was my sense of duty almost because what started to happen was these women started reaching out to me by the thousands. What were they saying? And they were saying, here's my story. And they felt comfortable telling me because they knew I would get it. And I started printing off all these stories in my home office and Poppy, there were stacks Mm -hmm that were starting to become higher than the chair that I was sitting in. And I don't know if it was my good Midwestern sensibilities or whatever it was, but I thought, I gotta do something with this. Mm -hmm. And the two prevailing things that these women said to me, besides their stories of shame and pain, were, thank you for being our voice, because nobody ever heard us. And they felt a sense of victory through my story being so public. And when I went back to them, and I responded to every single one, (laughs) and I said, could I share your story in a book? I thought I'd hear from a couple that would say yes. Overwhelmingly, at least 90% said, would you? Mm. Could you? They want it. So it was the impetus for me. I felt it was a sense of duty to do something with these stories and to give women a voice who had never, ever been heard before. What do they need? What they need most is for this not to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. But for those who are victim to it, who are prey right now, what can help them the most without risking their job? Mm -hmm. So chapter four in Be Fierce is my playbook where I put out my 12-point plan for women if they happen to be experiencing this right now in their workplace. And trust me, there's hundreds and thousands Mm -hmm. of them today that are. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just detail a couple points for you that I one think are four, the most One crucial. in four women working. One in four women. to the EEOC. Yeah, and, it's, well, it's, and 70% of those don't report it. Yeah. So there's 
hundreds and thousands of them. But the most important thing really is to document what's happening to you and make sure you keep that documentation at home. Um, Also to tell people. You have to find a couple trusted colleagues that you can share so that you have witnesses. That's crucial. And then also you need to think really long and hard about getting an attorney, at least making a phone call so that you can get advice. A lot of attorneys won't charge you to just listen to you for 10 minutes and say... It's also legal aid society. Yes, legal aid. And also there's uh, betterbrave.com, which is a new website that has sprouted up since my story happened, where you can actually go online, put in your name, and they'll align you with an attorney. So, you know, really having a plan is what I'm saying is crucial, because here's what happens to so many women. We are so used to working extra hard in the workplace right? And so we keep thinking, I'll take it. I'll just keep taking it and eventually they'll see me for who I really am. Mm. And so finally one day we decide we've had enough and we might go and file a complaint. But then the problem is we don't have a plan. And once you file that complaint, Mm -hmm. you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You can't go back to my 12 point plan and say, okay, I've, I've covered every base. So that's why it's really essential that women know exactly what to do. Document it. Document. Tell someone. Tell somebody. Get legal advice. Get legal help. And by the way, find out what your laws are in your state about tape recording evidence. Hmm. Because did you know that in 11 states, it's illegal to one party consent? Right. Which means you you are the one party consenting. Exactly. This is a rule we learn as journalists. Yes. For, you know, for stories, et cetera. But you're right. I mean, most people wouldn't know that law in their state. Well, for example, since we've been talking a lot about Hollywood, in California, it's a felony to tape record one party consent. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm. What does your husband say about all this? <laughs> My husband is also a product of the Midwest. and Good um, blood. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, he's been my biggest cheerleader since we were on our third date after our original blind date when we met. And I said to him on the third date, you know, don't call me back unless you kind of want to live in New York City, because <laughs> that's where I'm going, hopefully. And luckily, he said, "Well, that's exactly where I want to go." Mm-hmm. And you know, he was a gifted baseball player. I was a gifted violinist as children. So I think our connection is something we don't even need to describe to one another. We understand sacrifice at an incredibly high level. We understand discipline. We understand goal setting. And so he was with me in this fight because he always has been. This fight is for you, for so many other women and men who face this. Uh, It's also for your your children, of course. And you talk about your son specifically and this really being um, equally important that he sees in you what your daughter sees in you on this. What do you want? He's how old? He's 12. Okay. So what do you want him? When I told him about what was about to happen to mommy, he, he burst into tears because he wondered what would happen to our babysitter. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, it was so true classic, and genuine. I was, like, I was like, what about mommy? But anyway, um, I, I also was worried about the babysitter, to be, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I've always said that I have worked more for my son than for my daughter. And yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that when my son in 10 to 12 years gets into the real world, I want him to look at his female colleagues in the same way in which he looked at his mommy for all those years and the immense respect that I hope he has had for his mom. 
See, I think that it's crucial that we parent our kids in an equal fashion, boys and girls, and even pay more attention to the way in which we're raising our sons to respect women. It's, it's crucial. I have an entire chapter in the book on parenting, and I ask parents to take a pledge mm. that they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Kids see and hear everything. They see how parents react to one another and how they respect one another, or partners, or single parents, or whatever the case may be. They see that, and it's essential that we are providing them with the tools Mm -hmm. to look at each other in an equal and fair fashion. You have agreed to testify before Congress about forced arbitration. You have the support of Minnesota Senator Al Franken on this one, Senator Patrick Leahy, Senator Blumenthal, um, you know, have pushed the Arbitration Fairness Act. This would... This would be a big change if, if, if it becomes law. It would amend the 1925 Federal Arbitration Act. What needs to change, Gretchen, and why? So when people hear about forced arbitration, they can get a glaze factor because right. they're like, what the hell is that? But it's in a lot of contracts <laughs> it's, that people it's prevalent. sign. It's prevalent in employment contracts. It's become more prevalent. So here's what it is. It's a secret chamber where disputes at work are solved. But did you hear the word secret? Totally secret, yeah. It's totally secret. So hypothetically, if a woman's being sexually harassed and she has an arbitration clause in her contract, she's given up her Seventh Amendment right to sue in an open court. And so nobody ever knows about her story, ever. And typically what happens is if she files a complaint and goes to secret arbitration, she has to leave her job. Only 20% of the time do the arbiters find in favor of the employee. Mm. And the predators still stay in the workplace. And nobody ever knows about it. So we're fooling ourselves in society and culture into thinking we've, we've come so far on these issues. Why? We're not hearing about them. But the reason we're not hearing about them is because they're all going to secret arbitration. Because it's legal. It's, well, it's, it's legal, but this is a way for companies to, all, to also have... Um, problems that never come to light publicly. So what would this change if you have had your druthers? Mm-hmm. What so I would, well, first and foremost, it's essential and crucial to me that I get a bipartisan bill on this. Do you because have Republican support? I have been meeting, uh, yes, I have been meeting with Republicans on this, and I'm very optimistic about it. Any names you can share? No. <laughs> but I am, I am very optimistic that I'm going to be able to get a bipartisan bill here. Okay. Because here's, here's the issue, Poppy. Sexual harassment is apolitical. Of course. When somebody decides to harass you, they don't ask you what political party you belong to before they do it. And the same reasoning can be said for any member of Congress who has a daughter, a niece, or a granddaughter. Do they want them to go through what I went through and thousands of other women go through every single day? The answer is no. So the one thing I'm asking for is to take the secrecy out of it. Just take the secrecy out. Allow the arbitration to be public. Because you know what that would do to the pendulum? Hmm. It would equalize it between employee and employer. And the other huge part of that equation is that once it's public, other women within that company also find out that somebody else has filed a a complaint. So then you're not alone either. You're not thinking it's just me. That Did you feel alone? Well, of course. But that's part of the problem of the secrecy is that you feel like you're alone because you don't really know if it's happening to anyone else. This is central to the way in which we are going to have people be employed in this country.
Because the way in which we resolve sexual harassment now is either in secret arbitration mm -hmm. or settlements. And both silence the women. You sat down for a fascinating interview a few months ago with my friend, my colleague, Carol Costello, and you told her that you challenge President Trump. And you say, look, this is apolitical. You challenge, though, President Trump to live up to his words on women. Mm -hmm. And your words are, show America your words are true. That was six months ago or so. Has he done it? Not that I've seen yet. What do you want to see? Well, he says that he respects women more than you know anyone else. And wouldn't it be great if he actually signed the Gretchen Carlson mandatory arbitration bill that got rid of secrecy? That would certainly be showing that he respects women. Have you gone to the White House Not to talk yet. to them? Not yet. But you're smiling. People on the podcast don't know you're smiling. <laughs> so what is that? Have you gotten an invitation to the White House? Um, no. Not on this issue, but you know, you got to work from the ground level up. When but you're you trying would to go. Oh, of course, of course. When you think about, I mean, you're you're immensely hopeful for someone who went through this, who has had to abide by that secrecy. What is the sea? I mean, is this is your experience? Is Harvey Weinstein was playing out in in Hollywood? Look at Silicon Valley right now. Is this a sea change moment? Do you believe for this country? I do. I mean, I believe that the floodgates have opened. Mm -hmm. Everyone is talking about this now. And more and more women every day are saying, oh my gosh, if they did it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of the fence, the people who are the perpetrators, mm -hmm. it's a warning shot to them that their secret acts might become public. You have talked about men and we just spoke about how we raise our sons, mm -hmm. right? But you say it's heartwarming to hear from men because this isn't just an issue women are facing, men are facing it too. Mm -hmm. um, there have been men speaking out about this. Do we need to hear more? Why is it so important for the male voices to be just as loud as the female voices here? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, the burden of fixing sexual harassment should not only be on the shoulders of women. This is a cultural, societal issue. Uh, number two, there are tons of good men already doing great work. You have a chapter in your I book have a chapter about in enlightened my book. men. You point to people like our colleague, Jake Tapper. I do, I do. And the thing is, is that it became the longest chapter in the book because I found so many fantastic men out there doing good work. So this book is not about male bashing. This is about mm -hmm. celebrating men. Mm -hmm. And number three, saying, we need you. We need you to help us as long as you continue to run and operate 94% of Fortune 500 companies. We need you to honor women more in the workplace. We need you to give us promotions. We need you to pay us fairly. We need you to talk about sexual harassment and set the ideals from the top down that it's not gonna be tolerated. And in fact, wouldn't it be fantastic if all of these men would say, you know what, we're going to celebrate people who come forward about sexual harassment, the victims and the witnesses. Lift them up, don't push them into private. Yes. Let's secret turn arbitration. it completely on an opposite way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. Instead of secrecy and, oh, let's not get this out, mm. let's celebrate it. You cannot talk about what happened to you at Fox News in detail because of forced arbitration. However, you can talk about, this wasn't the first time. I mean, you experienced sexual harassment throughout your career. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about the early days? 
Yeah, you know, it was early on in my 20s when I was Miss America, actually, and um, I guess the naive side of me thought that a TV executive who was incredibly powerful, who had made a bunch of phone calls for me on a day, was actually doing it out of the goodness of his heart. <laughs> uh, until we got, uh, after dinner, into the back seat of a car service, and why would I think anything of that? And he was on top of me, and he had his tongue down my throat, and I was panicked and asked the driver to stop, and I, and I didn't even say goodbye. I mean, I just rushed out of the car. And I'll never forget going up to my best friend from college's apartment and saying, you know, just bursting into tears and saying, well, why would he do that yeah. to me? You know, I thought he respected me for my brain and my smarts and my talent. But that was not the only time. I mean, it, it happened to me several weeks later in Los Angeles, which was actually more of an assault issue with a high-ranking publicist, again in a car. And he took my neck and forced my head down into his crotch so hard that I couldn't breathe. And, you know, when you go through two episodes like that pretty much back to back, you yeah. start questioning yourself and wondering, like, wh why, why, why is this, this happening to me? Um, and then it happened again at my first job. So, you know, it just, it, it, was, um, it was something that I thought, or I wish I would have spoken up more about it at the time. Mm -hmm. But I'm like so many other women who didn't think anyone would believe me. Yeah. You know. But it's important now for me to share those stories. And I think one of the biggest revelations is that I didn't even call those f first two events assault until recently. Really? Mm -hmm. It was actually Natasha Stoinoff, who writes for People magazine and who is in my book as well and had her alleged experience with President Trump. When I was sharing those stories with her, she said, Gretchen, you realize that's assault, right? And I was like, no. And she's like, that's assault. Mm. And so I think that women are also socialized to normalize some of these behaviors and think, well, I, I'll just put that in the back of my mind and I won't think about that for 25 years. And I have to tell you that PTSD with these kinds of experiences is true because I saw that publicist a couple of years ago really? at my office. And he walked past my door, and I went back 25 years like it was happening right then and there. And I got up out of my chair, and I slammed the door, and I was sweating, and I was shaking. And I thought, what am I going to do? I don't want to see him. I don't yeah. want him to see me. And I finally got up the courage to look outside the door both ways and didn't see him and ran to the elevator. It, you know, it's amazing how you can be brought back in time yeah. to these situations. Now people walk past you on the street in New York and, you know, shake your hand and say thank you and meet my kid and thank you for, mm -hmm. for what you did. Um, that's, a, that's pretty extraordinary. Did you expect that kind of continued? I mean, that's the greatest thanks you can get, right? Someone, thanks for what you did for my kid. Yeah. I mean, it makes me emotional, actually. Have tears in your eyes. Yeah, because... My unscientific study of people stopping me on the streets of New York, at least, is that it's actually more men than women. Is it? And they always, when they shake my hand, say, thank you for my daughter. And, gosh, I didn't think anyone was ever even going to say hello to me again. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you, you just, there's no way to predict how your life will unfold when you do something like this. And the idea that people would actually want to shake my hand and mm -hmm. say thank you. You know, 
that certainly has done a lot to buoy my spirits and put me in the right frame of mind to continue on this path. You've talked about your mom. Is your mom still alive? Oh, yeah. I, I'm blessed to still have both my parents. Wow. That is a blessing. So your mom gave you this strength a long time ago mm-hmm. in Anoka, Minnesota, the home of Garrison Keillor and the home of, what is it, the Halloween capital of the world. How could you forget that? How could I forget that, being a true <laughs> Minnesotan? Maybe I'm jealous I didn't get to grow up in Anoka. But um, what does your mom say, Gretchen? You know... My mom has always been my biggest supporter, and my dad has been my emotional mm. guy. I mean, in a way, traditional roles speaking, maybe they were flipped a little bit. Yeah. But I think that that made me so much of a better person and so much more enlightened because I saw a father who showed his emotions, and I saw a mom who persevered no matter what. And the biggest tipping point for me was before all this unfolded when my parents gave me their support. Yeah, what did they say? What did he say, your dad? Yeah, my, my dad, um, it, was, it was tough on my dad. Of course. His little girl. Mm-hmm. Yes, but um, when, when I can still remember where I was sitting in my house on the night that they called me and, and said, okay, we're with you. Go forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, you always... You don't want to disappoint your parents. No, and you, by the way, you don't sue just for you. I mean, when you bring a lawsuit like this, this is your, your whole family's in it, mm-hmm. right? And so that support must have meant everything. Mm-hmm. So your kids are still young, but when they are asked, I don't know, when they start college or when they get married, tell me about your mom. What do you want them to say? I learned how to stand up and speak up for myself and how to be the most brave person in the world because I saw my mom do one of the most courageous acts ever. And she started something that we're still seeing unfold and it's going to be all positive for our generation. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you. Thank you from our kids, uh, from all of us. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Harlow CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.